All right, we're live. All right, good evening, everyone. I'd like to introduce, uh, welcome you to Esoteric Lighthouse. Uh, introducing you to today's topic, uh, episode four, astronomy, astrology, astrotheology, and overview. The reason we're doing an overview because these topics are so in depth that we would might we would have to do a separate episode to cover the vast amount of information that is found uh, within all three of them. So we're gonna do a quick overview, then we're just gonna go into some discussion topics uh, that each one of us have done uh, for with our research on the, these particular topics. Uh, today I have with me, I have Brother Chris, Brother Coney, and Brother Tim Fields, and Brother Robert House. And we are about to start. And got somebody joining us now. I think this is Brother Chris Watson. No, that's Leonard. Oh, Chris Leonard. All right, and let's, let's go. All right. Um, we are Esoteric Lighthouse, and we are a group of Freemasons, free and accepted Masons, who just so happen to be Prince Hall affiliated that focus on esoteric occult and philosophic lessons found in Freemasonry and other areas. Uh, this is a public forum, and it is not a legal interpretation nor statement of any Grand Lodge, district, or local Masonic body. Any views or opinions expressed by the panelists are solely of that of the panelists and does not represent any Grand Lodge, district, or local Masonic body views or views of its officials, to which our panelists hold. All right, uh, quick definitions of astronomy, astro, astrology, and astrotheology. Astronomy, uh, Greek astros nomos, or the star or law of placement, uh, is the study of, study of the sun, moon, stars, planets, comets, gases, galaxies, gas, dust, and all other non-earthly bodies and phenomena. NASA defines astronomy as a simple study of the stars, planets, and space. Historically, astronomy has focused on observations of heavenly bodies. It is a close cousin of astrophysics. Successfully put, astrophysics involves the study of physics of astronomy and concentrates on the behavior and properties of motion of objects out there. However, modern astronomy includes many elements of motions and characteristics of these bodies, and the two terms are often interchangeable today. Astrology, uh, from astro, Greek star, logos, the word, uh, in esotericism, esotericism, the logos is the primordial intelligence that creates, and God said, let there be light. Therefore, esoteric astrology is the study of the word logos in relation to the stars, astro, in relation to the heavens and the light of the logos as it is descends through all the layered condensations of matter and energy symbolized in the Kabbalah and influences of all phenomena. Astrotheology comes from the Greek word astron which is star again, and the word theology, which means the study of God. 
Since ancient times, man has worshiped deities associated with the heavenly bodies, the stars, moons, and the sun. Um, and this practice is called astrolatry. The term astrotheology is more specifically applied to religious systems based on the observance of the heavens. Astrolatry is usually polytheistic, while astrotheology allows for monothe monotheism. In fact, some people attempt to combine astrotheology with Christianity. All right, key points to astronomy. It's concerned with evolution, physics, chemistry, meteorology, and the motion of the celestial objects, as well as the formation and development of the universe. Astronomy is one of the oldest sciences. Historically, astronomy has included dis disciplines as diverse as astrometry, celestial navigation, observational astronomy, the making of calendars, and even at one time astrology. Uh, but professionally, astronomy is now often considered to be identical, identical to astrophysics, as mentioned before. Since the 20th century, the field of professional astronomy is split into observational and theoretical branches. Observational astronomy Astronomy is focused on acquiring and analyzing data, mainly using basic principles of physics. Theoretical astronomy is oriented towards the development of computer or analytical models to describe astronomical objects and phenomena. The two fields are complement to each other with theoretical astronomy seeking to explain the observational results of observations being used to confirm theoretical results. So in a nutshell, astronomy is just looking up into uh, the heavens, as we can call it, or space, and looking at these different elements, the sun, moon, stars, quasars, gases, and solar system, planetary orbits, rotations, and things like that, and coming up with a scientific explanation uh, to deal with our human psyche and our human rationale. So basically trying to figure out uh, our placement and the star's placement and this thing we call, this expansion we call life. Astrology, on the other hand, astrology is an esoteric tool used for investigating the cosmos and ourselves. The word astro astrology translates to the study of the stars. In ancient Greek and Vedic traditions, astrology is known as the science of light. Astrology is both a science of religion and the study of stars and investigating our own hearts. In Selfless Pug, if y'all know what the name of my books are, uh, I go by the Science of Light series. <laughs> uh, Astrology is also rooted in the spirit struggle to overcome the illusion of time as prison, which binds us to a wheel of life and death, properly thought to be natural, inevitable, and normal, but is it? It is a tool by a means of which humans can tune into the tides of the moon, the exchanges of energy taking place between the heavenly bodies and another. Astrology seeks to utilize the language of the stars to get at a deeper connectedness flowing as consciousness exchange between the aspects of life. Astrology is the science of informed other study, uh, sorry. Astrology as a informed science of studies such as astronomy, botany, 
horticulture, herbalism, and medicine, the positions of the planets and the stars were always consulted for the best times of growing the harvest for application of certain therapies and medicines and for many other aspects of life. The study of and practice of astrology has also been a part of esoteric and spiritual wisdom because it has us an archetypal and cosmic understanding of the world and ourselves. With astrology, the, the microcosm of the human and the macrocosm of the universe are one. So basically what this sums up is that astrology is our relationship to the the planets and the heavenly bodies and to include earth and the universe. I'll delve more into this in the discussion period on my thoughts of astrology and how it ties into us. Um, but for the most part, that's what it is. It's our relationship to the, the universe as individuals. Uh, astrology and the zodiac. Astrology slash, astrologers slash astronomers have always known that the Earth and the planets revolve around the sun, the heliocentric. But astrology is based on a perspective from the Earth, the geocentric. From a, a geocentric perspective, the sun and the planets move through the zodiac in a line called the elliptic, ecliptic. The zodiac is a wheel of 12 constellations, which are 12 cosmic archetypes, archetypes moving with the wheel of the zodiac. Uh, there are, are 10 principal planets, which are different qualities of movement of energy. This endless combination of energies is described just about everything relating to our lives as humans and the world that we create on earth. The geocentric, geocentricity is important because the earth is our home and our perspective matters a great deal for a mystical science that relates to humankind. The configuration of the signs and planets at, moment, at the moment we were born is called a natal or a natal chart, birth chart. The natal chart is like a snapshot of the heavens. When we were born, it took our first breath, when we took our first breath, established the uh, microcosm and the macrocosm relationship of our essence with the universe. Knowing the language of astrology allows us to read these psychological and spiritual blueprints showing the universal archetypes that imbue our consciousness via karma and other influences. By using astrology as a map of our psychological mechanicity, as well as our potential, we are we learn about how to overcome our karmic patterns and not to submit to a future that is predetermined by our past. Astrology and three realities. The planets move, evolve, and progress within the consciousness. The side real temples are within the consciousness. The human being is the zodiac, and the zodiacal belt is within the consciousness, according to Samael and Weor. All right, physical reality, psychological reality, and esoteric reality are the three basic premises for astrology. Physical reality is the study of astrology, which can teach us about our world and the diversity of energy, energetic influences in ourselves and others. Psychological reality 
uh, astrology can help us to understand the internal proclivities and blind spots and thereby learn to generate tolerance and understanding for other people. Esoteric reality, we can ask for assistance from the divine beings related to the cosmos, which we study to help us awaken and transform. Astrotheology. Astrotheology is one of the oldest existent texts, uh, sorry, one of the oldest existence texts related to astrotheology dates from the third millennium BC. Um, the astrological religion or astrotheology is a record abundance abundantly in India, Egypt, and Sumerian literature, as well as some of the uh, representations, traditions much older than the third millennium, also noted. Uh, megalithic ruins push astronomical knowledge back to at least 6,000 to 6,500 years ago. Uh, true theology looks up to the stars, the moon, the sun, and sees proof of God's glory and worships him, what he has made. Psalms 19.1. Astrotheology ties the gospel of ancient gods, myths, and mystery religions the idea that the story of solar, de solar, solar deities is simply a story of man's relationship with the sun and the seasons. Early man was afraid of darkness and realized the dependence on the sun, waiting for the sun to come up again day after day. Darkness became a symbol of evil or the devil, and God, who gave us the sun for light and warmth for growing food, was good. Procession of the equinox. Another important factor for astrotheology is the procession of the equinoxes. It's a phenomenon caused by the Earth's off-axis tilt, whereby the sun at vernal equinox or spring is backdropped by the different constellation every 2,150 years or so. A period called the age, uh, one cycle of procession through 12 signs of the zodiac ages is called a great year and it takes approximately 26,000 years. According to Orthodox history, the procession was only discovered in the second century BC by the Greek astronomer, astronomer uh, Hippocharis. However, it is clear from ancient texts and traditions, artifacts and monuments that more ancient people knew about it and attempted to compensate for it from age to age. Sorry. All right. Um, at the end of the day, um, astrotheology is the queen of science. It's best known for uh, astronomical priestly caste that was found in Azrael Babylonian culture, which is called the uh, Chaldeans, where uh, if you if you study the, the Bible and the Abrahamic faiths, uh, that's is where you, you get the history of Judaism, Christianity, and Islam from the Chaldeans. Um, they basically are the ones who demised the Assyrian Babylonian Empire, which were eventually dispersed to parts of all parts of the world, including Greece. After the development of the Chaldean occult science, it became less hidden and more known to the masses from the ancient authorities. 
it is evident the term Chaldean ceased to be descriptive of an ethnicity, but it became to be considered an appellation for the astrological priestly order from which the Hebrew priesthood, among others, was in large partly derived. Although the biblical imitators never reached the sublimity of the original reflecting of their widely held esteem, and on mating with the preliminary studies, the Jewish philosopher Philo Judaeus of Alexandria described the Chaldeans as an understanding to the eminent degree of what is called astronomy and further termed it the queen of all the sciences. All right, now we're gonna lead into the panel discussion and we can all get going. All right, hopefully y'all enjoyed that presentation real quick. Like I said, this is just an overview of some subjects that will we can go very deep into individually for astronomy, astrology, and astrotheology. And then when you start talking about astrology, there's so many different elements. When you look at the zodiac, uh, not only the zodiac is in the consideration when it comes into astrology, the planets, uh, which I mentioned, the 10 planets, a part of astrology as well. Uh, it's a working relationship between the planets and the zodiac signs and ourselves. Um, what people have failed to realize is that people, when you think about astrology today, everybody's looking at what they see on TV, these old so-called psychics like Miss Cleo, and stuff like that saying, oh, let me tell you a fortune. And you know, all it is is snake oil salesmen. They, they sell in divination and they reading some charts or something and really doesn't have anything to do with astrology and, or astronomy or any of these sciences. They, they're, they're saying something, but this mind frame has taken over um, taking over people's thoughts about the topics of astrology and astronomy and things like that and how it relates to us. Uh, what I've realized and what I've researched is that astrology has something to do with the energy you put out in the universe and what you're pulling from it and how the cycles of the planets and our motions within these planets, how the energy affects each one of us. And that's essentially what it's supposed to be about. And all these so-called clairvoyants and all these people saying that they can see all this stuff, a lot of them are really selling a crap, a, a pile of crap. And just based on my research, I found that it's, it takes on a whole nother mindset. And you have to put yourself in an understanding of who you wanna be when you look at these different bodies. It's about who you want to be and what you want to pull out of it. Uh, essentially, one of them is that the main seven planets or, or in the main parts of the zodiac or seven planets, uh, including the sun, they relate to the human body and the chakras and the different personalities that we have inside of us. Um, and each time we might have one of those personalities showing, and sometimes we may have two or three of these personalities showing. And uh, it also deals with the time of the day, the, the hour, you know, the month. I mean, uh, they say men 
I mean, women have their time of the month. Men have their time of the month too. It's just different. It's based on that. It's just based on these features of the motion of the planet and stuff. I mean, the same thing that affects women, the water in our body is affected by the moon too. So um, with that being said, that's just my intro to where I'm thinking about astrology and astronomy and astrotheology. Um, I want to shine a light on that it ain't all this, you know, snake oil salesman stuff. And don't believe that stuff you see on TV. Uh, Brother House got me into looking at the natal charts and stuff like that. And I'm like, hold up, hold up. And I, uh, I looked at them before, but I didn't go into it because, like I said, I was one of these guys that when it came to thinking about astrology, I was thinking about all these snake oil salesmen. But when I delved into it, and I was like, okay, I can deal with this. I can, I can jive with it. Then when I started looking at the natal charts, the, uh, which Brother House suggested, and I started relating them to myself and seeing, I was like, yo, I do got this personality. I do see these personalities in other people. I see these traits and tendencies in these other people. And they come and go, and it's based on the relation of the rotation of the earth and our placement. I mean, is it true to 100%? I don't know, but uh, I do believe it's relevant. Yeah, this is good, man. This is good. I think the biggest question for me is when we talk about actual theology and, and astronomy and things like that, and you say don't get caught up into the hype of the, um, uh, the clairvoyant salesperson that we see on TV and things like that, is how do we know from a very pure philosophical standpoint that the personalities that they have mapped to the planets and the time frame is actually accurate to a degree. Because a lot of times we get those horoscopes, but then it's kind of like far-fetched. And you get you hear a lot of it and it's like, okay, really? I mean, some of the attributes, like for myself being a Scorpio, I will say some of that is true. Um, but even still, I kind of like feel some, 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 you know, a little bit of suspicion sometimes trying to apply it to what I can do in my daily walk. And it's like, so how do I apply something? So how do I read that? And then you get into like the marriage stuff, like, okay, well, are we compatible? Things like that. So it, it gets a little sketchy. And I think, I think the biggest thing that we probably could answer to the viewers is how do we take this, this theology of the stars and apply it to what we learn in Mason? How do we apply it to what we're supposed to be doing from the day to day? And that's the biggest well, thing. Well, oh, go ahead, bro. Uh, I would say uh, the biggest thing is everything that comes into the Western hemisphere or in the Western culture becomes uh, truly bastardized. And what I mean by that is everything really that was taken from the East in its purest form and brought into the Western culture has uh, basically been commer commercialized. Uh, everybody's trying to make money off of it. So by making money off of it, they have uh, added a lot of things that are, are not uh, consistent with the original systems. And they've taken away a lot of the things that really make the system uh, true and and uh, operate within what it's supposed to do and how the how the stars constellations uh, work with the, the person and that's the thing with the natal charts uh, 
you don't have to necessarily go to someone to read your own natal chart. Um, you can, now with technology, you can go online to uh, astrology just web page and you can get your natal chart um, um, basically made. And basically what they do is they, they take your uh, date of birth uh, and the time of your birth and you just put it in. That's all you do. And it tells you what uh, stars was uh, uh, placed in what zodiacal sign. And basically you get a chart and um, when you get that chart, you can buy uh, actual, just a astrology book. Uh, and in that astrology book, it tells you, you know, this sign is this. Uh, when your, say, moon sign is in Gemini, this is the tendencies and so forth. And that way you can read it and uh, basically come to your conclusion and say, okay, is this me? Is this how I act? Um, you know, and that's from the moment you came into the earth. Now, from day to day and horoscopes and things of that nature, it's, it's one of those things where uh, it's more so westernized. The, 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 the real astrologers was more concerned about the individual and what uh, characteristics that individual is going to have. And that's what goes into know thyself. The more that you know about yourself, the more um, uh, pluses you know you have and the more negatives you know you have. If you know that uh, a person that is a Capricorn has a very hard time with alcohol and substance abuse, then you automatically know before that time comes, I need to keep myself away from substances and things of that nature that traditionally uh, affect Capricorns in a negative way. So this is a way of looking at more so of a horoscope because if you already know that a Capricorn is bad with substances and then you being a Capricorn start indulging into certain substances and it just throw you off the deep end, then you already know the future results of that. So this this whole horoscope thing, you wake up and you get a newspaper and it said, hey, you know, you're a Capricorn in a day, blah, blah, blah. No, mm. that's, that's, that's impossible because your native chart is a working science. And basically astrology is the oldest science. We can chart that back almost 10,000 years of being used since uh, ancient Samaria, um, all the way back to the, the Vedas and the uh, Tamil and Indo-European or the Indo-Aryans. The thing is, um, if you know more about yourself, the more you know, okay, don't do this, don't do that. Okay, just concentrate on doing this because this is my strength. So that's more the, the actual case. And by being a science, and you knowing, okay, if my moon is in Gemini, this is how I'm going to act from, you know, this is from birth. Um, then you can really see the whole science versus just saying everything is strictly on one sun sign, saying Capricorn. Because the Capricorn or sun sign saying you're Capricorn is not the 
all encompassing because where your moon is, where Saturn is, where Venus is, and how that Venus and Saturn relates, it's going to determine how your whole being is. So quick question and a follow-up to that um, would be, if we were to look at masonry, why do you think that the original, or should I say, I wouldn't say original, but a lot of the, the ritual is centered on astrology and astronomy? Um, well, uh, because, and things like that, the archetypes. Why is it like that? Because uh, those figures and those characters, even as uh, going into biblical things of that nature, are all humanistic um, symbols of what's above. And that's when we get into the hermetic idea of what's above, so below. And these things, the, the ancient people took those, those lights in the firmament or in the, the vault of heaven, and they brought them down to the earth and made them symbols. And because they saw those symbols as working beings, they put them in a sense of human-like beings. So they came up with characters and things of that nature, like a, like a, uh, in the Bible you you have a Hiram Abeth, in the Bible you have a Solomon, you have an Abraham. All of those people or characters are symbols of the the images above, and how they move through different times of the year, different uh, solar uh, things like. They didn't know what an eclipse was. So when the eclipse took place, that was a big, great omen to them because in the bright of daylight, that their use of day being basically 12 parts, uh, day 12 parts night, and in the middle of the day, it goes dark because some object moves in front of it. And if you ever pay attention to an uh, eclipse, you never see the moon. All you see is the sun, and you see an object that we we now know is the moon. But the ancients didn't know that was the moon moving in front of the sun. So for them, they think the sun is disappearing. It's being voided. It's, it, and so they made stories based off that. And those stories end up being what we have in, in manuscripts that are now considered religious texts. But in the ancient times, they were not considered religious texts. They were just considered manuscripts of different events throughout their culture. Right. Then, you know, uh, tying it back into masonry, when you look at masonry and you see the heavenly bodies as stations in the lodge, then uh, the canopy of heaven supposed to be above. It's actually representation of our solar system and the galaxy that we live in. It's our relationship to our galaxy and our, not our galaxy, but our solar system. We are basically embedded into our solar system. We don't know anything outside of it. Science is trying to prove that there's more to it outside of it, but we don't have the technology to go that far. But in Theoretically, in reality, everything that we have uh, relates to our particular solar system relates to us because that's the only span of awareness we have. People, they want to be all-knowing and think they know everything in the, under the sun and in the universe. We barely know God. We can only know God or what we perceive as God. 
through our perception of our solar system and these bodies around us. The archangels in the Bible, uh, Michael, Raphael, Samael, all of them, Uriel, all of them are the heavenly bodies. Those are the main seven planets. They the same thing, Venus, uh, Mercury, Venus, Mars, Earth, Neptune, all of that. That's the same thing. The same for the sun, the same thing for God being Christ, Krishna, you know, whatever personage you want to put them at. Uh, you can find um, you can find a religion that puts uh, a name to these particular heavenly bodies, mm-hmm. but that's because of the relationship to us and these heavenly bodies, and um, as we call them. Mm-hmm. And it, and that's why it's in the lodge, and uh, we should be studying these things, and not only just studying that uh, astrology of them, but the um, astronomy as well because we mentioned astronomy and astronomy has something to do with the motion of all these things people don't realize that we on a ball that go three thousand miles per hour but to us time is just really 24 hours in the day but we're actually moving three thousand miles per hour around the sun and the sun we're moving faster than that wow we're, we're moving in actually four different directions because the earth spins on its axis at 1036 miles per hour and then it revolves around the sun at roughly 36,000 miles per hour while the sun is pulling us in tow at 800,000 miles per hour while the the actual milky way galaxy itself is moving at 1.1 million miles per hour so we're moving at multiple speeds in multiple different directions, plus the wobble on its axis. And we don't feel any of that because of the atmosphere and the ozone layer that protects us within the sphere itself. Right, so, and, you know, it, it, when you start looking at it as a big picture, each wheel inside of a wheel is like a spaceship. We own spaceships that's moving throughout space, throughout the universe. And, you know, when we traveling, we really are traveling. People don't... <laughs> Right. Right. Uh, uh, thanks for correcting me, brother House. But you you see all the science behind just the study of astronomy. People, you know, they oh, it's just the stars, and you know, they just there. We this so this far distance. From here. Yeah, you. Uh, I forgot the distance we are from the sun, but the distance we are from the sun is eighty six million miles. You must got your computer up. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, that's all for here. <laughs> but, uh, but the distance from the sun uh, it plays on why we have atmosphere why we're able to breathe and why all these things are happening and the other planets they you know uh, they pull onto it as well and when you start thinking about the planets and you start thinking about the ancient cultures you start going back into Greece and Persia and stuff like that Roman uh, uh, most of the planets are named after Roman gods uh, but they um, they essentially got that from the Greeks, and the Greeks got that from the Egyptians. And the Egyptians, their history, um, it was already ancient when it was they was calling it ancient Egypt. So to me, I look at Egypt as being just a library of a plethora of things, because there was other cultures that was around prior to Egypt. Uh, African cultures, Indo-Aryan cultures, and the uh, South American cultures, they have similar lineage and similar history. And um, 
it's it's sad that some of some people they just say okay uh they stop at egypt and i'm like egypt is not the i mean yeah egypt is a great figure for history however you got to dig a little further you got to go in to say okay where'd they get this from and uh i was talking to a brother earlier today and was talking about chaldea and i broke down chaldea to him and the abrahamic faiths and how their relationship is to the hindu faith and where brahma and uh brahma and his wife uh Sarvati is similar to abraham and sarah and then you start doing the comparisons of that and the city that he came from abraham came from was the city of or which means light and uh, it's basically light, sun, knowledge, the you know, and all of this ties in to each other. So when you start looking at the heavenly bodies, going back to the heavenly bodies, being up in the sky, being named after these Roman gods, uh, I'll go into, uh, what is it, Saturn. Saturn is the Greek god Kronos. It's about time. And you, his, sons, the, his sons were born through his death, you got um, Zeus, Hades, and Poseidon. Mm -hmm. um, those same gods, or you can, uh, Zeus, Hades, and Poseidon is Brahma, Vishnu, and Shiva. Then if you take Zeus, Hades, and Poseidon, and you look at their characteristics, Zeus is the sun, then um, Poseidon is Neptune, and then Hades, I'm trying to remember, I think that was Pluto or something like that. But um, those, those heavenly bodies relate to the gods and then that's when you start going into astrotheology. When you look at the sun, astrotheology, it's the same as Krishna and Jesus Christ and uh, a couple other figures. Um, then Osiris, he was, I'm not Osiris, but either Osiris or Horus, I can't remember which one of them, but um, some of them you start looking at it in the Egyptian religion and the Egyptian philosophies and you start seeing this. Uh, same thing with Odin, Odin's son Thor. Thor is nothing but Zeus, but Odin is missing an eye. So it's kind of like Horus. So it's like, if you start looking at these different stories, you see that it was a connection somewhere. However, the different regions of the planet, all this stuff has changed. So you have to study it all to understand, just to get a bit of an understanding, but it is what it is. Most people don't want to study except those who want to find out the truth. And, and that goes back to uh, what you quoted in Psalms 19 to one, that the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament is handiwork. And when you look at that and then you go back to Genesis chapter 1 and 14, it says that God put lights in the firmament for signs, for seasons, and for days and for nights. So mm -hmm. the, the, the stars, which we now know are suns and, and planets and things of that nature, were specifically put there for certain signs. And those signs is for us to be able to relate to them and understand them, to study them, to know that if this point is over here, this means something. Or if this reddish looking star over here, that means something. And in the 
the Bible, you see that they We losing you. He accidentally muted, I think. Yeah, it shows he's muted. Am I back? Oh, there you go. All right, good. Thank you. Uh, they, the Magi or the the uh, wise men followed the star to the east to find the child in the middle, which we know from the story is Jesus. And what that actually represents is that they follow the light bearer, that light that brings forth the sun, which is the actual S-U-N in the sky. And that's what they were doing. And uh, I'm a survivalist. That's what I teach. Uh, I teach survival training. And I teach my, my clients to be able to look at the heavens and see what stars are in position. And by looking at the stars in position, they know exactly where north is because they know where east is. If you know that the star over here is going to rise in the east to bring forth the sun, then you know where north is. So this is what is taking place. These are stories that are conveying ancient ability to travel and migrate. We have to understand that when these people, these civilizations was migrating from place to place, land to land, they didn't have flashlights. They didn't have headlights on cars. So they had to utilize something that would lead them in the direction that they were trying to travel. So if we take, for instance, uh, Abraham, if he's trying to travel from the land of Chaldea from Ur, and he's trying to go now northwest to Canaan, he's got to find something in the heavenly sky that he can follow and track that's going to lead him in the right way in the cover of darkness. And that's and celestial navigation. What's that? That's celestial navigation. Exactly. So that's in, in, in Judaism, for those that don't know, that's what will be watching, I'm Jewish. That's why all our festivals and our feasts and our holy days are centered around certain astrological events. Passover takes place once we have the first, basically, passing of the sun over the northern and back into the northern hemisphere. That's passing over the equator. That's where Passover, the term Passover comes from, is the sun passing over the equator, coming back from the southern hemisphere back into the northern hemisphere, which ushers in spring, summer, and basically, you know, and so on. So 14 days after that, or the first new moon or full moon takes place, that's when we have the feast. And that's when we have our harvest and things of that nature. And that's outlined in Leviticus. So these things in these ancient manuscripts are not religious. They are manuscripts of culture and cultural living. And it's telling you how ancient people lived and how they lived and how they were able to survive through migrations, through floods, through famine, through droughts. All of these things was tied into certain astrological events. Just like 
uh, Brother Michael said, the moon has effects on tides. So if the moon affects certain tides, that means certain times of the year, they know that they're not going to be able to fish as well as they were in another time of the year. Because if the water is low, that means that a lot of the fish are going to die because it's less water for them to actually be able to have it. So these things are based on your how you harvest, how you plant your seeds, where you plant your seeds. A certain time of the year, the sun is not going to be in this area. So you're not going to get the sunlight, which means your harvest is not going to grow here. So I need to now move my harvest over here to get maximum sunlight. These things are cultural. They're not religious. And that's one of the biggest problems, I think, uh, take place in uh, mainstream religious things. And to bring it back to mainstream, if, if your book, your volume of sacred law, is centered around the new moon is this, the new moon is this. And Joshua uh, chapter 10, it tells you that God made the sun and the moon stand still for a whole day. It didn't move. You have to understand that is coming from the perspective of ancient people that did not have the same technology that we have. That is indicating of an equinox. The sun and the moon became equal. And, and that was the longest day of the year. That's what took place. They're like, well, the sun normally would be gone down by now, but it's still in the sky. So they put in there, well, God made the sun stop moving and the moon stop moving. Well, we know because of our technology during a certain period of time of equinox, the sun and the moon are equally day, equally night, and they stand in their positions longer than any other time. So when we, when we start utilizing the technology and the knowledge that we know now, that they did not have and know then and connected to the stories and understand that this is their culture and their perspective from a people five, 6,000 years ago, then we understand what's really been told. So brother house. So now, you know, students sitting on the wall, had a question. So right. th this is interesting though. So I I'm thinking that, at some point in time, as we had this conversation, maybe when there were, let's say, powers that be that kind of like suppressed that knowledge and the spread of that knowledge, do you think that's what led to the creation of these stories to explain these things that would have been considered to be uh, not able to be taught <laughs> or forbidden? Well, I would say that the stories was was put there by the ancient people and those ancient people uh, was trying their best to convey information to uh, their next generations. I think the people in say religious authority through their own ignorance they taught it in a sense of this is uh, what God said do not knowing that this is referring to something scientific. But because they put so much work and thought into building a religion around those things that they were ignorant to, because we know these are 
Afro-Asiatic concepts, period. All Abrahamic faiths take place in the Northern Hemisphere. That's why they all are similar, including the, the Hindus and things of that nature, because the Hindus are in India's in the Northern Hemisphere. So everything that's taking place in the Northern Hemisphere is being seen from the same and very similar vantage points. They see the sun in a similar area. They see the moon in a similar area, Venus, Mars, Jupiter, and so on. So you might hit that microphone, don't you? <laughs> basically trying their best to um, convey this information to others. And I think when you had the Romans and the Greeks and stuff coming out of Northern Europe coming into a completely different cultural, a completely different language and way of living, they themselves did not grasp and understand what those African and Asiatic people were trying to convey to their people that understood their language. So when you take a Hebrew language, which is an Afro-Asiatic language, and then you try to convey it to someone that's speaking the Indo-Aryan or Indo-European language, it doesn't mix. So that leaves one or two things to take place. The conquering people learn this language or that conquering people make the language fit them. And that's what we have now. We have a language and translation that is an Indo-European language that has tried to force an Afro-Asiatic language to mix with them. So what that has done is created more confusion. And you know, just to build on that real quick, as you know, that was proven when the Romans conquered the Greeks. They yep. basically adopted their gods and they changed some names. Some remain the same too. That's right. Yep. Thank so, you, sir. That's yeah. That's that's kind of it in a in a in a nutshell. Uh, so I think now, uh, and this is my own opinion. Say two thousand years ago, I understand. Okay, they're doing what they can do, and they're teaching and they're instilling this based on their small amount of knowledge and understanding. But now it's only truly a control mechanism because they know that these things were astrological and these stories were based on astrological events. They know and understand the language and have the ability to understand the language in depth. And they see that certain words are not nouns. Certain words mean multiple gods. Elohim literally means the seven planets and that's that's what it, the seven gods the seven candlestick menorah the seven branch candlestick that represents those seven planets as they move around the center point which they knew was the sun your religious authority now are utilizing uh everybody's ignorance to continue uh control basically there's, there's no reason why anybody at this time should be ignorant of what is really being trying to, was trying to be conveyed through those manuscripts. So, but, but that kind of leads to question, and here's from more of a, um, a counterpoint or 
or I would say someone on the outside looking at it and says, okay, you go back to 2300 BC. You see the okay. form and Sumerian text, all right? So let's talk brass tacks. Um, anybody know of a telescope back then? Who was flying? Who knew all this stuff was going on from a very astrological standpoint? Who actually knew the sun and everything was rotating? Because if you look at some of those texts, it was very intricate and it talked about solar eclipses and omens and things like that. So I always ask the question, who back then was teaching them? Because if you look at it, it's from a very barbaric to what we know, uh, technology was not as advanced as it is now. So how were they getting all these accuracies, these, these constellations that was pinpointed down to the math where these guys had it and it was accurate and it's still being used today? Because the Samaritans were the first to master geometry. And by utilizing geometry, they were able to get very, very, very close to the distance the sun was from the moon and the moon from the earth and things of that nature. And they have cylinder uh, clay reliefs of them with the sun in the center with all the <laughs> planets around it, and they know which one's what. You got to think back then, there was no light pollution. So because there was no pollution from gases and things of that nature, no light pollution, they were able to see what we still have problems seeing with our naked eyes much better. And for instance, um, if, if you get a very clear day and the sun is just about setting, if you, have, if you take a sheet of paper and just prick a hole in there, you can see with your naked eye the sunspots on the sun. So if you see a sunspot, say on the far left, and over time that sunspot moves to the center, then that gives you enough indication to know that the sun itself is rotating. So when you see those things, plausible understanding, then you start to be able to obviously build a hypothesis, a theory, and then be able to prove that, okay, this is rotating. And then the same thing with the earth. If we, we know about the plumb line, well, if we're holding a plumb line and we're doing certain uh, things with it, and we see that the sun's over here at this time of the year, but the sun is over here at this time of the year, but the plumb line is showing a different shadow, that means that we are now also rotating. So they utilize those things over time. In the twilight of the day and right before dusk, you're able to see more stars in the sky when it's still light. And mm -hmm. that's how they knew if the sun was in, say, Scorpio, or the sun was in, in uh, um, Aries or something like that because it was dark enough to see the other stars and the shapes of the stars but the sun was still visible. So they could see at that time where the sun was during that season. And you know, Brother Coney, just to build on that, it's kind of like proving why they actually built temples to a certain height, Brother yeah. Because That's as right. you get closer to the sky, you can mm -hmm. see a little bit more. You can see the horizon, things like that. And see, and that goes back to the, the ziggurats. Uh, mm -hmm. The ziggurats have been for the most part, proven to be much older than the pyramids. 
and they were basically a plateau-like pyramid where they still went up in a pyramidal shape, but they did not finish. There was no capstone or there was no point to it because at the top of theirs was only for the priest, the high priest. And that high priest was basically an astrologer. And the higher he was able to go, the farther he was able to see out toward the horizon. So he was able to see the, the light bearer or the Venus or even Mercury because Mercury and Venus are both light bearers. And they knew that's when the sun was coming. And they knew at a specific point during a specific season, if the sun came up at this point, then we knew, okay, to harvest this. If the sun came up 20 degrees or however distance, however they decided to call it, to the right, then they knew that another season was coming. So that's what those things was for. And actually, that's what's on the back of the dollar bill. That is not a pyramid. That is a cigarette. And that's why it's unfinished. There's no, it's flat there. I'm going back to Chaldea. <laughs> <laughs> Good stuff. Good stuff. Man, I, I tell you, it's crazy how we were like on that same vibration because Akoni posted something about Babylon. I was looking at Babylon and it, it's just like, and then you, you built on that. I'm just like, I'm amazed. Yeah. But it's, it's, they said that, oh, I'm sorry. No, but Nebuchadnezzar ahead. had had built that um, what what do they call it? Um, but it has the Ishtar gate as yeah. well, and we know that yeah, that's east. Yeah. And they painted that blue, like they have certain colors and symbolisms that I was just, I was marveling at, man. And it was thousands yeah, see, of years. And see if you, the we know the blazing star is Ceres, and Ceres points to um, Orion. And Orion's mm -hmm. belt and those three main stars in Orion's belt. Mm -hmm. But if you if you get a very clear night and you look at it, some most of those stars actually illuminate blue. So they actually and we know Mars is the red planet and and that's why it's considered the planet of war or the god of war. Mm -hmm. So all of these things are based off of the colors, it's based off of the shapes, and it's based off of the positions of those particular constellations during a specific time. Because depending on um, what time of the year, Orion comes up standing up or he comes up laying down. So this takes place every year at the same time. And one of the things I do on the side is, is uh, astrophotography. And I've sat out there for seven years. Every, I mean, it's clockwork. Orion's going to come up standing up on a particular day. He's going to come up laying down on a particular day. It don't matter what you do. And that's a great testament to the, the builders in Egypt because at the Holy of Holies in Egypt, no matter what, during the, the winter solstice, the sun sets perfectly in the Holy of Holies every year same time same channel so what what whatever's going on in in the solar system in the in the world and in, in space it it is perfectly done mathematically and geometrically hmm. Hmm. and that's why we say grand architect hmm. yep 
So essentially, and this is something that they were discussing before, the there are certain monuments that were placed in certain places because this is something that was theorized. I don't know for sure, still digging, that they aligned with certain constellations, as you said, during certain times of year. Yes, and 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 we the three major pyramids of, of Giza is perfectly aligned with the three stars of Orion. And that, they basically point to Orion. So it once again it goes back to the hermetic um thought process as above, so below. And we been the macrocosm as the macrocosm above. So it all plays back to how everything that's taking place in the heavenly bodies affects the lower bodies. Because at the end of the day, if the sun does not rise, everything dies. So that is the understanding of the sun is the savior. It has nothing to do with a literal person or man that walked the earth, died and resurrected. It's 100% we, we know scientifically that it is talking about the sun and that December 23rd, it sets and it does not move and to the ancients that represented the sun has died because all year the sun has moved and has shown light. For them, it rep movement represented life to them. So the sun stopped moving at December 23rd. It was on December 25th that the sun moved one degree. And that for them was the resurrection or the coming back to life of the sun. And one of the things in Hebrew, the, the O and the U is interchangeable. So you can have sun, S-U-N, you can have sun, S-U-N. So those are interchangeable words. It is it's specifically talking about the, the sun because everything, because in Hebrew and Judaism, we have a solar calendar and we also utilize a lunar calendar. So we utilize them together. And that's the whole bringing masculine and feminine together for one. And that is the eclipse. Then to uh, touch on your other other part of it, we're talking about these bodies on Earth. When you look at Stonehenge, Stonehenge is nothing but a huge sundial or a clock. Uh, it has uh, it has the 12 hours. It has 24 hours. Uh, it has rotation. It even goes into the 26,000 year span, uh, like the Mayan calendar, stuff like that. And speaking of it, the Mayan calendar as well uh, is based on the movement of the heavenly bodies. Uh, yeah. People predicted that 2012 was supposed to be the end of the year, uh, end of life as we know it. And they keep making all these predictions based on something. But what that means, it was just the end of the great year, uh, a great epoch. And now uh, that epoch is starting over again. It's not the end of life as we know it. Uh, unfortunately, um, humans, we, uh, we're, we are stuck in this doomsday mentality and everybody's waiting or you're going to waiting for doomsday to happen or they're going to bring about doomsday and <laughs> either way it goes it's still scary but uh when we go back to looking at these astrological things and we uh put that into perspective of like i said our relationship to it uh we we need to find out what's the so what of anything in life, how do I play 
um, a part of this universe. And, um, you know, some of us, we only have small parts to play. So find out what your part is, you know, maybe your natal chart to help you figure out what your small part of this universe is. And you go after that. And uh, you, you just try to be the best who you can be, not what somebody else expects you to be or what you fantasize to be, but what you should really be. Uh, at the end of the day, like, I know I'm Mike Williams. I'll never be a Michael Jordan or a Mike Tyson, uh, none of these people. So why would I go out there and aspire to be something that I know I'm not? And when you understand your zodiac and you understand your natal charts and you understand the flow of these things, uh, which I'm still getting a grasp of, and you you learn more about your personality and you you fit you find those strong suits of that personality and you build on that character and then you try to find those negative aspects as well and you try to control or fix those negative aspects about yourself uh like brother house mentioned earlier if you know if your natal chart says hey you may be prone to substance abuse or sexual abuse or whatever type of abuse just based on your uh characteristics and I don't mean like sexual abuse as you know some people they just may be like nympho or something but you have to learn how to control those things and that's where your natal chart comes into play and where astrology goes into play and in understanding these things and seeing that's the thing when when the the bible says that God made us in his image that's what they're saying we're made in the image of those heavenly bodies up there. And there's theorization that we come down through what we call a ladder, a ladder system or different planes to get to the earthly plane. And doing, doing that travel or that descent or the fall, to earth or hell as Lucifer the light bearer supposedly fell from heaven down to earth. We fell through each plane and falling through each plane, we took on a characteristic of each of those gods. And those gods put their being or their fingerprint within us. So when we got here, we basically held within us those characteristics. And the whole purpose to get out of this cycle of birth and death and reincarnation is to work yourself back through that ladder of Jacob to get back to the source. Yeah. Mm. Mm. So I, I think the thing at the end of the day is, for me, always the question of knowing what we've already talked about. All right, we know we're talking about the stars. We know we're talking about there's some um, prehistoric uh, archetypes that always try to represent everything from an astronomical to, excuse me, a, a, a astrology standpoint. Right. So why, knowing what we know from a very academic standpoint, the numbers don't lie. Planets are there. We can see them, right? Right. Why is it that there's this uh, contention to believe that that does not represent the stories that we have been told. The stories actually happen. One has nothing to do with the other. In my personal opinion is I think man has always been looking for a hero. 
uh, we, at the end of the day, we don't know where we're going to go after we die. And we assume that we're going to go to a place called heaven or hell, or uh, we assume that we may be reincarnated. Uh, and instead of facing the reality is that we don't know, uh, we assume that uh, there's going to be a savior or a hero character that's going to atone for our wrongdoings. And we're not going to atone for ourselves. We, ha we have to have somebody that's going to save us. Mm -hmm. And they're using a character that was made from the sun, S-U-N, to be that same savior that's going to come back and save us. Mm -hmm. And then when you start looking at the other faiths, especially the Eastern faiths like Hinduism and uh, Buddhism, those characters are still there. And, but it's saying, hey, this is the law of karma. And what you've done in the past will come back to you and you will have to atone for it for yourself. And it will reflect in not this life, but the next life. And as Brother House said, when we brought when they brought that stuff to Western culture, Western culture, they tried to sell an ideology. And when they sold that ideology, that ideology became the doctrine of that somebody um, is either going to punish you or save you for your wrongdoings. And you have to accept that as, um, as you have to accept that as law because I'm the law authority on that particular area don't believe what anybody else says to you you have to believe this and when you say hey we got the technology to look up in the skies and we can see where these connections came from those same people who said that they are the law and the authority saying hold on you trying to cut into my power base you cutting into my control so I'm going to try to prove everything you are saying is wrong because it goes against my power and my control. Mm -hmm. Well, I would say this. Um, one of the, the biggest issues is, once again, the stories that we have now are derived from people that went into a land that they were not familiar with the language. So because they were not familiar with the language, they then had to create their own stories based around it. Mm -hmm. And now today's age, uh, like Mike said, you, so many people have bought into the thought of this savior type thing. And they're doing this through a belief system without themselves doing any research into where this belief originated, they just fall on the superstition of this savior being. Um, as far as the people thinking they're going to be judged and things of that nature, the son was their savior and they're also their basically punisher. If the son did not show during a whatever season, it might be a rainy season in Africa. We know they have like monsoon seasons and things of that nature where the sun's just not showing, it's raining. That's mm -hmm. going to give them a bad harvest season. 
Mm. So they looked at that as an omen or some form of punishment because they didn't do a proper sacrifice or they didn't do uh, a proper birth ritual or things of that nature. So they felt that they were being punished because the son decided he was going to withdraw from them. Mm. But as soon as they do something at a certain time, mm. just because the skies now open back up, they feel we have now been saved. Mm. We have now been forgiven. And what it was, it was just that season had ended. Mm. So once again, we're, we're dealing with cultural manuscripts mm. of people trying to convey what took place during their time and their existence based on their understanding and ability to convey it. And we have people that came into a culture they were not familiar with or a language they weren't familiar with that took something and created something on top of that. And that's what we have now. Hmm. Good stuff. Well, hey, I, I got a quick question just to see what your thoughts are. Since we're talking uh, sun and the moon, I'm going to jump with the moon based on when Brother House was speaking and uh, Brother Williams uh, conferred to it when we were talking about how the moon, its gravitational pull affects the tides mm -hmm. <laughs> in the water. Uh, I know when I was growing up, and some of you, when you were growing up, may have heard that and that belief and that saying that, you know, when you saw that full moon, uh, no wonder all the crazy people are out. Y'all ever hear that? Yeah. When they use as the moon. Now, being this is my thoughts. Being that the brain or the mind consists of seventy-three percent water, and we know that the gravitational pull of the moon impacts the tides, then could it be some truth to that? Because now it's impacting the shifts of uh, the mentality of some of those, you know how we, uh, you know, uh, they had medication for that because you know you're out of balance up there mentally. Well, I, would yeah. was, I would say yeah, because there was a lot of moon rituals back then. Yes. And in the Bible, it speaks of- um, New moon all the time. Yeah, yeah, it talks about it all the time, yeah. That's where the word lunatic comes from, lunatic. And see, there you go. <laughs> there you go. You hit it right on okay. the head, right there. All right. Here's the thing. Uh, in astrology, the sun represents your your outwardness, and the moon represents the inward. So that represents the subconscious. So the the moon itself has a bigger effect more so than what the sun does. But what we have to do is we, we have to understand that if if physics is right and science is right, and we know that gravity is centered around mass and the bigger object has the most gravitational pull, mm -hmm. then it makes absolutely no sense that the moon could even affect anything in the form of water on the earth. Because if the water is on the earth and the earth is the bigger object, then that means a smaller object cannot overpower the gravitation of that bigger object. Now we know that 
because of the gravitational pull of the Earth, the moon is in its orbit around the Earth. So if the moon cannot escape the gravitational pull of the Earth, then the gravitational pull of the moon cannot have any effect on the Earth. Mm -hmm. So th this is the issue. See, we even though we're told certain things, we have to understand what science tells us, that the proof. We know gravitational pull is based on mass. The Earth is 25,000 square miles. The moon is only 5,000 square miles. Mm -hmm. It cannot in any way overpower the mass of the Earth. But I don't, I don't. The moon doesn't even remotely rotate fast enough either. Right. To generate right. more gravitational pull. Right. Right. So I don't think it was the gravitational pull per se. I thought it was the actual light from the moon that was reflecting off the sun as well, the sun if, rose if, dancing the devil's pedal moonlight. Right. If, if, if you test the moonlight, then. See, I, I've done all this stuff for, I don't know, about 15 years. That's how I knew about the rotation and the speeds and all that. The, the, the moon itself, its light is a cold light. So if it's reflecting the actual light of the sun, that light should be warm. But if you go from the shade to the light of the moon, you mm -hmm. actually decrease in temperature. Okay. And the Bible says that God put two lights in the heavens. So, so, you the moon say, is, so you're saying that the moon is his own light? There you go. It's his own light source. Hmm. Hmm. Because, because if it wasn't, then we wouldn't even be able to reckon when the sun is on one side and the moon is on the other side and we can clearly see the moon. We can see the moon in the day and we can see the moon in the night. Hmm. Hmm. We all learning something today. <laughs> 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 I wouldn't have ever thought about that one. Yeah. But, yeah. Wow. One thing also, um, science just proved that which if people observe, if they just use their eyes and observe. When you look at the moon in the daytime, do you not see the blue atmosphere behind it? Yes, you do. You do. Or you wouldn't be able to see its outline if you didn't. So there you go. So the moon is actually within Earth's atmosphere. And yeah. science proved that. Man, you dropping bombs today, man. I can't tell <laughs> <laughs> But you know, there, there are some, some facts there as well. I mean, it's self-evident. Because if you think about it, nine times out of ten, if we have a moon, uh -huh. right? Uh -huh. A lot of times, because they said the Big Bang Theory, moons were objects that came from the formation of a planet. But if you look at our moon, that can't possibly be, because where did it come from? Right. You know what I mean? Where where would the moon come from? See, there's, there's there's many is a lot of literature that is written, and you know, uh, I guess at this point is speculation because it's it's very hard to prove. But there's much literature that says there was a time before the moon ever existed. Hmm. And it you have books the time before the moon. 
So it's it's one of those things is like the moon was traveling, passing by and got caught in our gravitational pool. Because mm-hmm. the the way the, the moon is four hundred is four hundred times farther away from the, the sun, but forty times far away from the, the sun. So it's they're perfectly based from each other. That's why the moon and the sun supposedly appear to be the same size. Because they're perfectly from each other. And what it is, is the gravitation of the the sun is pulling on the moon and the gravitation of the earth is pulling on the moon. And that keeps it at equilibrium. And that's why we actually have life because of that equilibrium. (laughs) So, Brother House. That was heavy. Let's keep going. (laughs) (laughs) That was heavy. No, but we can keep going because think about what he said. Think about the amount of craters that the moon has on it, right? Mm-hmm. And when was the last time we saw an asteroid hit? Never have. <laughs> because those are those are not impact craters. Mm-hmm. Because if you look at those craters, every single crater is perfectly the same depth. But you never see anything that shows a glancing blow. Everything is a perfect... 90 degree impact. Like they smacked right into it and right. stopped, but then you yeah. don't see any evidence of what hit it. No glancing blows. So uh, are you saying that the moon was an asteroid in itself? The, the science theorizes that the moon itself was a planet that That's basically right. died. Okay. That's what I thought. I didn't want to sound crazy, but that's what I thought. Okay. That was the next one I was going to say. I like that. What the asteroid? Was it a planet? (laughs) But it makes sense. It's spherical, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. It's like the Earth. So it's it's interesting because, see, the moon is a, it's, 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 it's different from everything else because the moon itself does not rotate on an axis. That's why we only see one side of the moon. So no matter what vantage point, and I've I've done sync photo shoots with people from Australia, uh, the UK, Africa, all at the same time. It doesn't matter what time you take the picture from what vantage point, you only see one side of the moon. But the thing is, I can be in Alabama and somebody can be in Australia and we can take the same picture at the same time and the moon that I see is in the daytime and the moon they see is in the night. But it's still the same side. Same side. But they call the dark side of the moon. That's what I was just, yeah. So it's it's very interesting and you know, um, it's, it's it's very interesting, but that's that's the thing, man. Um, it's it's when people stop following clergy and start actually asking the necessary questions. What? Why were these two lights placed there? What are the people of that time trying to convey? Why does it says? when sundown is the next day. 
but yet we reckon it at 12 a.m. or 12 p.m. You have to understand, well, in that book, it tells you everything was created in the darkness. So that was the first day. That was before the sun. The sun didn't come about until the fourth day, but you already had three days before. So, so how, right. So what was that like that God said, let there be light when there is no source of life? So we, 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 we have to go into these manuscripts and we have to actually break down what is being conveyed because if there's no source of light, then what is providing the light? Hmm. Also, the fact there were two creations, right, Brother House? Doctor Say it House? again. <laughs> also, that there were two creations in Genesis. Yeah, chapter one and chapter two, two different. Yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> but but this is the issue. Genesis is a young book. The oldest book of the Torah, the Tanakh, is the book of Job. So it's it's a lot going on. But see, this is the thing. When you have a people coming into a culture that they don't understand and they take their manuscripts, they're going to put them together how they want to put them together. There's a reason why in the whole story with Job, God is asking, where were you when I put this here? When I laid the foundations of the earth. When I fashion the earth and its foundations, it's so that it cannot be moved. It's a reason why we don't feel motion. And it's a reason why the book says the earth don't move. But <laughs> I'll leave it at that. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's heavy. <laughs> it, it, it gets pretty serious because he asks, can, who can release the belt of Orion? That constellation has been there since the beginning of time. It hadn't changed. But we're told that we're moving at five different speeds, five different directions. But every year the sun sets at the same point, at the same time, no matter what. Huh. See, people not... That we we're what we told logic. <laughs> if right. you if if you for fifty years see the same sun set between the same two columns in Egypt, mm -hmm. and they build it that was made by quote unquote primitive man, and nothing has changed in fifty years, a hundred years, three thousand years. Mm -hmm. what is this so-called motion that they're talking about hmm. you got me bro I, I, <laughs> <laughs> you got me because I always thought it was was it like centripetal force was keeping us centered you move so fast if you spin an object whatever's inside the object will make it seems like it's standing still but brother, you, you're not going to stay in the same spot. You could try so, your best. You're not going to stay in the same spot. Right. So, so yeah. okay, let's think about this then. That's, that's, we're going we're gonna to jump down this rabbit hole now. <laughs> okay. <laughs> now, I'm not, I'm not saying, I'm not talking about beliefs. 
because people are free to believe what they want to. Mm-hmm. So they said they went to the moon, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. If the moon travels around the earth at 1,036 miles per hour, the earth itself rotates around the sun at 36,000 miles per hour. Right. Once they leave Earth's atmosphere, why don't the Earth leave them? Then the moon goes silent. Because the moon is still, I mean, the Earth is still rotating. So he's saying when you leave, the Earth still keeps going. Yes. <laughs> oh, okay. oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I got to say. I got to say. So, so this. The experiment would be if I'm in the car driving down the road and the car represents Earth and the surrounding inside of the car represents the atmosphere. I can throw an apple up in the air all day long and it's going to fall in my hand. I don't feel any emotion. But once I throw the apple out the window. Mm, Okay, got it. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. It makes a lot of sense, huh? So the Earth and the moon should leave them behind. Yeah. But yeah. yet, they supposedly went to the moon and came back. It's impossible. Uh, you, you're getting into conspiracy theories, man. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. That's, that's physics. That's no, just, I'm with you. I'm with that's you. the speed. Right, right. 30 miles per hour. 1,000 miles per hour. They say in order to leave Earth's gravitational pull, you have to be doing 17.5 thousand miles per hour. Okay, so let's just say the space shuttle hits 17,000 miles per hour. Well, the Earth is still doing 36,000 miles per hour. So that means you're getting left. Yeah, yeah, huh. So, yeah, you're right, man. Those spaceships should be floating out somewhere. They should run out of oxygen, all types of crap. Yeah, yeah. So huh. I'm just saying. So we, we, we have to understand what the ancients was trying to convey to us through the manuscripts that they was telling us. If the Samaritans in 5000 BCE was able to say the sun is in the center and these other planets and things are around it, you have to understand that they're telling you that that object that they, science is saying is the sun, is actually the earth. Because the heliocentric model and the geocentric model can be interchanged and you still get the same results. So you have to understand what was the purpose of changing it. If the same results are the same results. One side of the thing was, quote-unquote, the religious power. The other side of the things was, quote-unquote, scientific. Somebody had to win. And the person or people or community that won is what we're dealing with scientifically, and the other thing is what we're dealing with religiously. And that's why we have a the big the great divide between science and religion. Because they've been bumping heads since the beginning. Makes sense. Oh, it's crazy. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm just saying it makes sense. And, and it's just, you know, you have to utilize logic 
and and think of these things. You know, you have to have you have to step back and be unbiased and say, you know, why and what? What is the truth? Why are we not given the truth? But you have the ability to prove it to yourself. That's why it's, you know it says you should know the truth and the truth should make you free. Mm-hmm. Well, clearly they didn't know the truth back then because they weren't free. Because if the person that they're claiming is this person talking to those people saying, hey, you need to know the truth and that's what's gonna make you free, then he's telling you right now, I can't free you. Because clearly you don't even know the truth. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And right now you still have people, and I, I hate to use this word, but well, they're trapped in an ideology that they don't know the truth of. Mm-hmm. So every day they go somewhere and they give their money. Every Sunday they do a certain thing. And they're going through the same process, knowing deep inside that they're seeking something. And what they're seeking is the truth, but they're not getting the truth. It's the same way with, I always use the ideology. Once you've graduated high school and you've gone to college, why would you ever need to go back to elementary school? And that's what church has become. You're constantly going back to elementary school because you've never been given the information that you need to graduate from elementary school. And that's why the book says, you have left the schoolmaster. That's why Paul say, when I was a child, I did childish things. Mm-hmm. But now that I'm a man, I've put away childish things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The people in the mm-hmm. church are still doing childish things because they don't understand geometry. They don't understand utilizing logic. They don't understand that it's knowing. He said, you shall know the truth, not believe, but know. <laughs> We're dealing with people that still want to believe. And belief itself indicates ignorance. That draws back to that thing I was saying. Everybody's looking for that savior complex. They got that savior complex. They want that hero. Uh, They don't want to, people, they say they want to know themselves, but they actually don't really want to know themselves. Because when you know yourself intrinsically, you realize that some some things and some things about yourself are very dark. And people don't yep. want to embrace that darkness about themselves. Not I, uh, I did a post about that yesterday. Oh, you did? I need to check that out. Yeah. But, uh, Y'all need to stop messing with them guys. Say, <laughs> <laughs> let them make it. <laughs> but, and, I'm sorry, bro, Mike. Really. I say no <laughs> uh, uh, And that's where that that when it they that full moon that lunatic stuff that comes about too you start looking at it um it's about uh the the moon releasing your true nature as brother house mentioned earlier it's like it uh the moon uh it's supposed to tap into you know your i won't say your yeah your subconscious your subconscious is essentially what the moon's tapping into and your subconscious shows you who your true self is and you know once you understand it and you come back into the light of the sun you should be able to conceptualize that there's two sides of the same coin with inside you and you should be able to know when to turn one on and when to turn the other one off and vice versa 
and well, that's what I'm thinking. Mm -hmm. But um, what we what we've grown to learn in culture is that nobody wants you to embrace that lunar side of you. They only want you to embrace that bright side of you or that that sunny side, the happy side. They don't, you know, they want you to go out and hunt the good stuff. But when you hunt the good stuff, you got to realize that it's some bad stuff out there too. And you have to embrace that part of you and you have to know when to be temperate and when to be mild. Mm. And um, as a society, they want, as a, as a society as a whole wants people to be dormant and elusive to the world that's around them because if you're dormant and elusive to the world around you and you don't seek to have your own mind and you don't seek to have an opinion, you make yourself controllable. And um, it's a system of control that is now self-imposed because ignorance today is a choice. And anything today is a choice. If you choose to go left or you choose to go right, that's your choice to do it. But what people are doing, they're, they're dragging other people into those choices that they make. You know, and if you're not with me, you the enemy, and you're going to lose a friend, you're going to lose this, you're going to lose that, your whole life's going to change. And it goes back to uh, what we were saying, people want you to follow them, and that's why religion and things are like that have not changed with the times when we have discovered the technology to mm -hmm. move forward. Mm -hmm. One of the things I just think about Isaiah 30 and 10 says, which say to the seers, see not, and to the prophets, prophesize not unto mm -hmm. us right things, speak mm -hmm. unto us smooth things, prophesy deceits. And that's the biggest thing, and we see that every day in religion. You you get a a strong motivational speaking, and you go there and you feel great, and you know, you know, said your hallelujahs and everything else. You know, in the South, down here in Alabama, you say you have a hallelujah good time. And the thing of the matter is, you're prophet or your minister or your preacher have just given you deceits he gave you smooth things things that sound good to your ear that make mm -hmm. you feel like somebody's gonna come save you tomorrow or next week or the other day but the realization is after all these years of different things taking place on the earth countless of millions and millions and millions of people being killed and and everything else, what is it that is gonna be this this spark that's gonna bring this this character that you believe is real to this place to save you? Mm -hmm. But the problem is you have the the old testament as they call it, which is the Torah Tanakh which is a Hebrew written manuscript, an Afro-Asiatic book that they have now connected to it, a Indo-European book that came about roughly 700 to 1,000 years later after the manuscript of the Old Testament had already been written. 
there's no concept in the Afro-Asiatic scriptures of someone dying for your sins. It just does not exist. We know that because when Moses died, it is written that God came down to earth and buried Moses. It never says anything about him going to heaven. Never says anything about him going to hell. It says God himself came down and buried him in an unknown grave. There's no talk of Solomon going to heaven. There's no talk about David going to heaven. There's no talk about any other patriarchs going anywhere other than to their grave. Abraham bought land for him to die and be buried in, and his sons. So we have to understand that you have one manuscript of a people and their culture that don't believe in somebody coming to save you, bringing you to this place called heaven and, and hell and all this stuff. And then you have another people, which is written in the Kohen Greek, that give you a book that speaks now of this going to heaven and, and going to hell and being saved and all these things. You have to understand that these two things are completely different cultural manuscripts and two completely different ideologies from each other. And until that takes place, people in um, religious uh, ideologies like Christianity, Islam, things of that nature, will continue to be trapped in two bodies that don't mix. You got oil and water, and it's not mixed. But you have ministers that's, that's preaching deceits that's trying to force things to, to marry that cannot do so. So, so here's the thing. Here's why I, I find the gap, because everything makes logical sense. It makes great sense. But when you try to connect the academic or the physical, you can't deny with the spiritual. How do you right. connect the dots? Because I think what happens is, is that what you're saying is that the New Testament was pretty much brought up for a plethora of reasons, but the main one was control, taking what they thought and then twisting it and making it to what they wanted to be a reality to control your mind. I get that. But we can't deny that there's some spiritual aspect to everything that we see in here because it exists. I mean, no matter what the planets are doing, the spirits are there. So I think the question at the end of the day is how do we connect the spiritual to the physical? Understand truly the physical. If, if you don't know those planets, you don't know their movements, their operations, then there's no way to connect them to what you then call spiritual. If you know that the reflection of the sun that rises over the Pacific Ocean is going to show you a perfectly straight line from the horizon all the way to the shoreline. If you don't understand that's what is meant by the sun walking on water, you cannot connect the two. Boom. There it is. <laughs> Boom. That's good, man. That's good. <laughs> so th this, this is what you have to understand. If we know that a seaport is Jopa in Israel, 
-hmm. and they're out there on sea fishing and the, they're, they're fishing before the sun comes up and the sun comes up at the horizon, the image of the sun is going to walk all the way across the water to their boat. So if they're having a problem and they're afraid and they look, oh, the sun's out there walking on the water. Yeah, that's what they saw. <laughs> oh, man, this is good. This is good stuff, man. That's how you connect the physical to the spiritual. You have to understand the physical. Right. Show them right. how it works. Right. Then you can connect it to the spiritual. Wow. Mm. It's every bro. I mean, mm. it, it's like, it's common sense. It and is. like, <laughs> you know what's crazy? Like, when the brother says stuff like that, I reflect upon my, um, I was basically in the church for, let's say about 16 years. Cause you know, in, in the black family, you had to get up Sunday morning and go to church, <laughs> right? There was no, I'm not going this morning, right? And so I used to tell my mom some interesting things. Like I would be like, I would listen to the elders there and so on and so forth. I watched that routine because you knew at certain times of year, they'd be reading from a certain part of the book and there were only certain sermons that were given, right? So you, you find that it's just a, a cycle of events reoccurring. That's it. And you're just sitting there as a kid like, well, when is this going to change? When are we going to graduate? Yeah. When are we going to get to the next part? You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And as Brother Howe said, like people are going there for whatever reason they're going there for but it's not for advancement. Nope. It's not for progress. Yeah. You know, for that to happen, you gotta have those uncomfortable conversations. There's nothing wrong with the folks who are still going to church, but I think they should be asking themselves, when are we gonna move on to the next step? Right. You know? yeah, you know, and just as you just said, Brother Chris, it was the same thing with me. And uh, I think I was like 13 or 14 when my mom finally said, she's like, what's up with you? I was like, I can't do this no more. She said, what you talking about? I said, this is too seasonal. I said, for the last couple of years, now I'm understanding a little bit more. Everything that's going on is seasonal and the sermons is based on these and he keep reading the same scriptures and I'm saying, when are we gonna get something new? And after then, um, then that's when my mom, she bought me two books and Brother House don't like one of them. Uh, she bought me from the Valley of the Dry Bones and from Babylon to Timbuktu. <laughs> he said something about from Babylon to Timbuktu the other day. But them two books right there. <laughs> <laughs> but them two books right there was the first books that inspired me to seek more and to look for more and to go further and to start asking those questions. And had I had a, a mother that was like, boy, stop questioning things and just sit here, we probably have a different person talking. But my mom, she encouraged that I go out and explore. And she encouraged me to go find my own way and not to follow her way. And when you have parents like that, you know, you, you become a better person at, at free thinking and trying to find out your way instead of following somebody else's way. And that's, that's one of the biggest problems is uh, 
generational forcing of ideologies. Traditionally, and, and this is just, it kind of runs rapid throughout the world. What your parents do, you traditionally do. And then what you do, your kids traditionally do. And that's what we understand uh, by Deuteronomy 28, uh, the curses and things of that nature. You're cursed because you won't break the cycle of repetitiveness. And because people, your grandmama ate chitlins, and this person ate chitlins, and this person ate chitlins, and you wonder why you have diabetes. Well, they say, well, it's genetic. No, it's not genetic. It is habit. It is a taught habit. It's genetic because your grandmama, who you came from, did it. It's genetic because your mama did what your grandmama did, and you're doing what your mama did. That's why you're having the same generational curses or the same generational problem. It's because you're following the same toxic generational practices. And that's why in the book, it kept telling you that the Jews kept having the same problems. You just left Egypt. You're standing outside for a couple of days because Moses talking to God. You fall right back onto the old habits of Egypt. If you cursed yourself because of that continuation of that bad habit had nothing to do with God cursing you. You did it yourself. Mm -hmm. yeah, and that's what today. Yeah. People don't understand. And, and that's, once again, it's cultural. Those people at that time were making the same mistakes. Well, the sun's over here and my crops are not growing. Well, I'm going to keep planting them in the same spot. Well, because you keep planting them in the same spot, you keep having a bad harvest. So mm -hmm. there it is. You're being judged, but you're being judged because you're making the same mistakes. It really has nothing to do with God is mad at you for some reason. It's because you have not realized that you need to make an adjustment. You need to now move your crops here. And when they did find out that, that was the blessing, so they wrote that down. Okay, don't do this. Do not. So you have a people that's translating something, saying these are Ten Commandments, where the, the word in Hebrew actually says these are the Ten Utterance. These are the elders of the people, the Sanhedrin. Well, the Sanhedrin is the elders are giving you instructions. They're telling you, just like your, your elders in the old days tell you, don't do this, don't do that. That's the quote-unquote Ten Commandments, they're telling you, hey, during our experience, when we kept making these same mistakes, this is what happened. So don't do it. So that's the Dashanite kill. That's the Dashanite steal. That's the Dashanite commit adultery. It has everything to do with a cultural standpoint versus a God is going to come down here and kill you or punish you because you're breaking his commandments. I yeah, um, some good conversation. Uh, we're now at our two-hour mark, and already, uh, <laughs> yeah, already. 
uh, uh, close this, but uh, I'm gonna close out the the recording part. And uh, following on for next month, we'll be going over um, hermetics and alchemy. Oh. <laughs>